This week, Reverend Wendy talks about how Jesus was about transformation and opened a path to God consciousness that vibrantly speaks to us today. Jesus held a unique concept of God as a presence dwelling within us and a principle by which we live and not as an object of worship. So today I am actually beginning a series. I don't typically begin series on Easter, but I am today, and I am calling the series Reclaiming Jesus. Reclaiming Jesus. I think that we need to, number one, reinterpret the Easter story. And number two, I think we need to rescue Jesus. I'm reminded of something Mahatma Gandhi said. I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians so much. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. I like your Christ. I don't like your Christians so much. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. Reclaiming Jesus, rescuing Jesus. What does that mean? And how audacious is that to start on an Easter Sunday morning? Well, I'm going to educate you a little bit because we're unity. We're new thought metaphysicians. One of my favorite people who spoke here many years ago, Bishop John Shelby Spong, wrote this. Christianity was born in the experience we call Easter. What is debatable, however, is a question of what the experience of Easter really was. Here, the distance between the Christianity of biblical scholarship and the Christianity of fundamentalism opens and begins to widen. He teaches, as do many Bible scholars, that when you begin to read the New Testament in order, in the order in which the Gospels were written, you begin to see a very fascinating progression of the Easter story. There's not just one version of the Easter story. And the Easter story grew and grew with each subsequent writing of the Gospels. Paul wrote about Easter, but in Paul's writing about Easter, which his writing took place some, somewhere between 20 and 34 years after Jesus' earthly life came to an end. When Paul wrote about Easter morning, he did not write about, and this is a phrase that Bishop Spong and other Bible scholars use, did not write about a resuscitated Jesus in physical form. He did not write about that. He wrote about the idea of rising in Christ, which is quite a bit different. It's actually, I think, much more mystical and much closer in some ways, this idea of rising in Christ, this idea of rising in what it means to express the Christ nature within us is much more akin to what we're about in New Thought. Mark was the very first gospel that was written, and the Easter story in Mark is a very short one. The Easter story in Mark basically ends with the women at the tomb seeing the, the women at the tomb wanting the, the stone rolled away 
at the empty tomb and seeing a messenger who tells, not an angel in Mark, a messenger who tells the women to go into Galilee, find the disciples and tell them that Jesus has risen, not in physical form. We have each of the gospels built upon itself and each of the gospels then begins to expand the story in many different directions. Spong says it took more than 50 years to begin to interpret the Easter experience as a resuscitated physical body. Is that a surprise to you? Some of you, yes. Some of you, yes. Some of you may still be trying to figure out what does that actually mean? What does that actually mean? We need to reinterpret the Easter story, and we need to rescue Jesus. We need to save him, if you will, from a lot of the myth and a lot of the story that has developed over many years around him that in many ways clouds who and what he was really all about. We are living in very challenging times right now. Would you not agree? Very challenging times right now. And it's easy to get discouraged. It's easy to feel afraid. It's easy to feel confused. It's easy to feel depressed. Yet, every single challenge, every single challenge that we are experiencing in our world today can be solved. It can be solved. But these challenges are not going to be solved by force <clears throat> and by might. Every single challenge can be solved, must be solved, if it is to be permanently solved, with a spiritual solution. And a spiritual solution can only come from and through those who are spiritually awakening and who are committed to practicing a spiritual path. And that is what we have in Jesus the Christ. We need to stop looking at him as Lord and Savior that we worship, but instead we need to follow him as a teacher of consciousness. And I'll tell you, thank you for that. Yeah. As a teacher of consciousness, there is a whole different, following him as a teacher of consciousness places a whole different burden of responsibility where it belongs on each and every one of us not expecting him to save us. We need to save ourselves through the application, the understanding, and the practice of what he taught. That is radical. That would be to rescue him from the church. But instead of looking at what he pointed to, we look at him. And yet he didn't ask for that. He, he discovered or experienced a very, up to that point in time, a very unique relationship with God. And he taught that we did not need anyone or anything to experience God. And he taught a very different understanding of who and what 
each of us is, that we are made in the image after the likeness of God, but he taught the divinity within each of us. It is the divinity within us and the, the divinity within us, the understanding of that divinity and the application of a spiritual practice that will dramatically change the world. It is the solution to any of the world's problems. We're not gonna force people to love each other. We're not gonna force people to be fair to each other. We're not going to force with might people to act in just and honest and ethical ways. What happens when we try to force anything? As soon as that force is released, what happens? goes right back to where it was before and sometimes even worse. We don't force people to love each other. We help people learn to love each other. We help people to learn to be more understanding. We help people to learn to forgive. We help people to learn to not be judgmental. This is what he taught. This is what he taught. He said, everything that I do, you shall do also, and greater things than these shall you do. When you ask a fundamentalist Christian about that, what do you say to that? They say things like, I just wish he didn't say that. <laughs> because where is the responsibility? It's on us. It's on us. He didn't start a religion. He was too smart. <laughs> Why in the world would he do that, right? He didn't start a religion. He didn't set up creeds and dogmas. His message actually was really very simple. Very simple. Not so easy to do all the time, though. You know, just take his, one part of his message to judge not. Have you ever tried to go a full day without judging? <laughs> it's not so easy, is it? And even if you can keep your mouth from verbally saying anything judgmental, have you noticed that that doesn't necessarily mean your mind has stopped being judgmental? That's just one, one tiny piece of the teaching. So if we were to really be his students, if we were to really be his students and we were to really practice what he taught, we would live boldly. We would love wastefully. We would serve easily, joyfully, and continuously. Amen. Amen. It is so tempting and so much easier to praise and worship, and then go right back to living our lives in the same somewhat asleep or numb state. I want to read a piece to you. It's a little bit long, but it's written so beautifully. It comes out of a great book written by Unity Minister Eric Butterworth called the Dis Discover the Power Within You. If you have not read this book, you do want to read this book. It is an, I think it's one of Unity's best books, and Eric one of Unity's, was one of Unity's finest ministers. And in Discover the Power Within You, it is all about exploring the depths 
within us, the spiritual dimension within us, through the lens of all of Jesus' teachings and through a metaphysical and mystical lens. He writes, in a way, Jesus created a great picture window through which man can view the vast and beautiful panorama of the spiritual dimension of life. When Jesus said, come unto me, he was inviting his disciples of all times to come and sit with him and view the infinite reality of things from the perspective that he had found. His finger is pointing out through the window, not at himself. Don't look at me, he is saying, but look to the spirit as I am looking to the spirit. See yourself in the light of the Christ as I have seen myself in this light. Believe on me in the actual demonstrations of the divinity of man which I have made and realize what this really means, that you have this same potential within you. What I have done, you can do. I have created the window, but let us look through it together. Never forget this window, for it is your inlet and your outlet to all there is in God. Butterworth goes on to say, the window is something to be seen through, not to be looked at. The disciples were slow to comprehend, but most of them did eventually see the picture. They, in turn, gathered other disciples who came to the window to see through to the ultimate unity with God. Generations passed. The, contag the contagious influence of Jesus' initial discovery slowly faded. People started to forget. Oh, people still came to the window, for in time it was a ritual of worship. A few still looked through the window, but the majority simply stared at the window in all its austerity. In time, the window became old, dusty, and opaque. Now almost no one sees through the window. It is the object instead of the medium. It is adorned with gold and gems. It is made into an altar. It is a focal point of worship. Millions upon millions of devotees through the ages have come and knelt before this window, but only occasionally does a clear-minded thinker clean the darkened glass and see through the window. It is still there, and the great discovery made by Jesus is still as relevant to the life of the individual as it was 2,000 years ago. Can we together make a commitment to be more clear-minded in our thinking? Can we together make a commitment to reinterpret Easter and really understand what he taught and can we make a commitment to practice more consistently, more deeply, more boldly, more courageously what he taught? It's not Jesus as Savior that we need to worship and accept. It is Jesus as teacher we need to follow. It is not Jesus as Savior we need to worship and accept. It is Jesus as teacher that we need to follow. So I ask you, will you think about some of what he taught? And will you pick one of those to commit yourself to personally practicing with all your mind, with all your heart, with all your soul? And just in case you maybe don't remember some of his teachings, 
They are things like, judge not, lest you be judged. Give good measure. Love God with all your mind, with all your heart, with all your soul, and love your neighbor as yourself, not love your neighbor instead of yourself, which sometimes we do, love your neighbor as yourself. Will you be radical enough to speak truth to power? We really need to do that now, guys. We really, I wonder what he would be saying right now. <laughs> right? Would any great, courageous, deeply compassionate spiritual teacher, they would not be telling us just bliss yourself out on the best meditation you've ever had in your life. Do that and let that be what inspires you to love lavishly, to live boldly, to speak truth to power, to stand up for what is right, which means standing up for each other, recognizing that we are one, that I am not my brother's keeper or my sister's keeper. I am my brother. I am my sister. Would you not say that more than at any other time in history, we have the opportunity to make the biggest, most profound difference for good in the world than at any other time in history. Would you not agree with that? So really, if Easter is to be anything other than a pretty holiday with fantastic music, it means that we need to practice. And I don't want to suggest that you're not already practicing. I've got to believe that if you're a part of this community or a community like this, that you are practicing. But what I am challenging you to do, and what I'm challenging myself to do, is to say, how do we turn the volume and the intensity and the consistency up on that? And I'll leave you with that as a question. Namaste. Thanks for listening. Sunday services at 9 and 11 a.m. Inclusivity. It's worth the drive. Subscribe to our podcasts and download our free app for instant access to a wealth of spiritual teachings, services, and events.